Amen. Good morning. That's a new song. I'm trying to change the songs out. And this one, this guy sang on either War Room, one of those Christian films, wrote some of the music for that. And I found that on the uh, on YouTube. thought it was very appropriate for our, for our sermon series, Fixer Up, or which we're in the ends. Before I start preaching, though, I've got to say thank you to, to the teachers today, kindergarten and first grade. But I want to make it so much bigger. We thank God for all our teachers who faithfully serve every Sunday, Wednesday night, when they're serving. We are grateful for you. Thank you so much. Again, the Wednesday night group, we don't really hear from them very much, but they're here every week teaching those kids. And the Sunday morning and Sunday night, we click. And Well, you would not believe the volunteers, how many volunteers it, makes, it takes to make this happen, and we are Grateful. Thank you so much. And see, right back here, we have a, a young lady. I didn't ask her age and don't want to go there, okay? But she was baptized here at Dorsville in 1945. How about that? And she's come back to Harrisburg to live. So welcome her this morning. Glad to have her. All right, so here we are in lesson sermon number four in our Fixer Upper series talking about different family issues, and I really hope this blesses your heart. I hope we get some stuff we can take home and really apply to our lives. The sermon title today is Family Power Play, Five Ways to Win. So, you know, you try to come up with these catchy titles, and I know that the uh, Blues are in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and unfortunately they didn't do very well last night, and I don't know a whole lot about hockey. But I was watching it the other night. You know, Ethan would be very proud of me. I sat there in my, my recliner watching hockey, and here's what it looked like. <laughs> I couldn't keep track of what was going on. That puck was going like 900 different directions at one time, and I couldn't tell who was supposed to be doing what. You know, I'm going, holy moly. Okay, but then they had something called a power play. Okay? Now, I had to look this up and make sure I understood what was happening. But the bottom line is this. When one of the teams gets a penalty and they pull one of the players out, okay, the other team, and there's six, I, during worship, I was looking up how many hockey players are on the team. I said, I ought to act like I know what I'm, I ought to act like what I'm, I know what I'm talking about. You know? so, so while they're seeing this beautiful work song, I said, you give me your phone. i got to find out how many hockey players on each team. And there are six. And there are six. So, so anyway, so, so when there's a penalty and they remove one of the players, he goes to the penalty box. That's called a power play because the other team has a numerical advantage. So my six to five, okay? And it gives them a greater opportunity um, to score. And I said, well, they ought, that's really like the family today. You know, that, that there's this battle going on for the family between light and darkness and good and evil. And the one with the numerical advantage wins. Well, I got great news for you. And that is God plus anything is a winner. Amen? And when you put God in the mix of your family, you are in a power play, okay? And you are bound to score when you put God in the mix of your family. And the reason there's five ways to win is because we want to base our scripture to our sermon today on Psalm 127. So if you get your app out in your U version and you'll find it there, we'll have it on the screen. And of course, there's a sermon sheet also out there. We want you to get all the information you can about where we're going today. But this is based on Psalm 127. There are five verses there that are pretty crucial, really is. And because we need to know, how do we win as a family? All right? Very, very important. And today is, here's what I know. I know families are busier today than they've ever been before. 
I asked Judy a kind of a crazy question, and I'm still not sure it's a good question, but I, I thought about back when I was a child and how my parents crafted me. And then I thought about halfway through, like even like 30 years ago, when, um, was it 50 years ago when Rebecca was born? I always get her age mixed up with How old are you again? <laughs> no, she's like 30. <laughs> she's under 40. She's under 40, okay? But anyway, you know, how did we craft our children and then how parents today craft their children? And one of the things that I see is that for sure, while we were plenty busy raising our now when I was a kid, you know, there just wasn't a whole lot going on. You did, you know, Little League Ball, and that was just about it. Other than that, you ran in the woods and played all day and whatever Dad told you to do. Um, but even when we were, you know, our kids were young, our schedules were so busy. And boy, today families wrestle with busy schedules. And so I, I got this, I grabbed this off the Internet um, from one of the writers I read. I listen to, one of the writers I listen to, and uh, listen to this. I think it pretty well describes our lives sometimes. It says, in our fast-paced culture, there's an epidemic of hurry sickness. Do you ever find yourself texting several people at once, talking to two or three at a time on the phone, or all the while Googling something on your computer? And we demand instant results, faster internet, faster food, faster results, faster answers. We want it, and we want it now. Hurry, hurry, hurry. We juggle careers, family responsibilities, social obligations, and volunteer activities. We hurry to fit more and more in, and we are teaching it to our kids at the same time. School kids fall into bed, exhausted after homework, sports, and a myriad of activities. If you feel as though you're always running behind and you wish your day could be 36 hours long, you are probably suffering from hurry sickness. The results? Constant stress, frustration, fatigue, strained relationships, mixed up priorities, and most important, neglect of time with God. That neglect can rob you of the rest and peace he wants to give you, and may I add, your family also. Now, to illustrate this, because I know reading something is kind of like, you know, you can't really get a picture. I was actually able to find a short video of a the day and life of a typical busy family. Would you please show this, this rare footage that I found? Does that sometimes look like the way our lives are? Now, let me tell you something. I keep reminding you, I'm an older guy now. I'm 65, and sometimes my life looks like that. So it's not just younger parents with kids. And it's not grandparents with a bunch of grandchildren. It's life. I mean, I remember someone, you know, I remember Andy Stanley said one time, I don't know anyone who is not busy. So kind of woven into this, dealing with the family, we want to talk about how we can maybe get a little bit of control over our business, and right in the middle of all that, what you're going to find out is God. Now, I have a quote today from a guy named Otto Broomfields. Isn't that a great name? How's that be named Broomfields, all right? So Otto Broomfields says this. 
If one wants to reform the world and make it Christian, one must begin with children. And, you know, that's totally true. But may I add something to that? You know, by the way, the reason he said children is because that's the next generation. If we want to reform our culture, then we change the hearts of the children who grow up, take power, and take position, and they change the culture. But may I add to that, family? May I add to that home? We could read it. If one wants to reform the world and make it Christian, one must begin with the home. The home. You know, society is built on the home. We see it in Africa where we go. We see it if we go to Haiti, if we go to Nicaragua. Where we go, we see the home. It's one of the building blocks of society. And here's the deal. There's a word there that's really important. You know, there's lots of houses in America. And there's a lot of homes in America. And there are a lot of Christian homes, homes that would say, I'm Christian. But there's a scarcity of godly homes, where simply put, without question, God is the center of the universe. So what we want to do today is we're going to get five verses with five key words that will help us as we do life. And so I hope you'll get your pen and paper out. hope you'll get on your app there and type in some notes. This will be available on the internet later on if you go back and listen to it because I really think uh, it's got some meat to it. All right. So the first verse that we're going to look at this morning is Psalm 127. I chose him today to use the New Living Translation in case you're wondering that because of the simplicity of the writing. All right. Psalm 127. One, here's what it says. Unless the Lord builds a house. Unless the Lord builds a house. Now, I understand that most of you have no clue when I mention, mention the Avengers. I understand that. Okay? But the Avengers, it's, a, it's a, a crew of superheroes that they've made a bunch of movies about, okay? And they call the Avengers because they come back and avenge against um, evil. And the big one that just came out was Endgame. And the bottom line is, there was a super villain, and they come down to the ultimate battle of trying to defeat him. Doesn't that sound kind of spiritual? That there is an ultimate villain named Satan, and we need to come together in the power of God and defeat him. And so, so here they are, and, and one of the characters says, you know, he was calculating, you know, he's kind of like an intelligent guy, and he calculates, I think, now don't, don't come up and fix me, correct me, but I think he said... There was 14 million different combinations of how they could fight this ultimate villain. 14 million, million combinations. And then the other character says this. How many of those do we win? And he holds up his finger and says, one. One. I want you to know this. With my heart, I believe this. For the family to win today, this has to be true. This is the one path to a winning family combination, unless the Lord builds the house. Now, now trust me, trust me, there are many people who are going to say, I have a successful family. But let me tell you this, if your success does not go beyond the last heartbeat, if your success does not stretch into eternity, it is not success. In fact, I will say this, if your success is only here, it's sandcastles. You remember we talked about that last week where you have a sandcastle and they're beautiful, they're massive. The tide comes in and bam, it's gone. Somebody comes through, some, some guy on the beach comes and kicks your sandcastle and it's gone. In order for your success to be real and lasting, if you're a follower of Christ, then it has to go into eternity. So he says, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is 
waste it. Waste it. He goes on and says this. Unless the Lord protects the city. He says it another way. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. I'm trying to tell you, you've got to get God in the center of your universe. And I am all for church, but please hear me clearly. You need to come to church, but I'm not talking about church. You know, people say, well, I've got religion. I'm not against religion, but I'm not telling you you need religion in your family. I am telling you need God. You need a personal relationship with the creator of the universe for today's family. That's the power that you're going to have, and that's the power that you're going to need. Now, here's the deal. The key word here is ownership. And we have to determine who do we want to own our home. Who do we want to own our home? Now, it's common to be, commonly said in America that the American dream is home ownership. To own your own home is the ultimate American dream. Spiritually speaking, I want to let you know that in America, if you own the home, it's disaster. It's disaster. If you own and control your family based on your knowledge and your power and your wisdom, it is a recipe for disaster. The best thing we can do is understand that God needs to be the owner of our homes. And it all begins with the heart. I wrote down and said this. I wrote and said, before God can own the home, he has to own the heart. Before God can own the home, he has to, he has to own your heart. Now, I'm going to give you three things. I'm not a very good leadership guru. Um, I'm sure if I wrote a book, it would be uh, Judy would buy one copy. Um, I, I don't have really good practice of leadership. I, at least from my perspective, I don't. But there are three sayings here I'm going to get to. I think, actually, I didn't have to look them up. I popped them out of my brain. But I will read them off my sheet to make sure I get them halfway right. But there are three leadership things I want you to write down because they apply to corporations. They apply to teams. And boy, do they apply to the family. Not just the dad, but the mom. Not just the dad or mom. And if there's not a dad, it's just the mom. It applies to mom. If there's a, there's a mom and no dad, it applies that way also. All right. The first quote is this, or the first principle is this. Um, the home rises and falls on leadership. Now, the, the saying is in the corporation, you know, the corporation, the team, rises and falls on leadership. And dad and mom, grandma and grandpa, if it's you, you need to understand something. That the home will rise and fall on your leadership. I can't overstress the importance of godly leadership in the home. And God has appointed the mom and the dad, particularly the dad, if you want to go that way, but the mom and the dad to be the leaders in the home. The home rises on the leadership of the father and the mother, if they're both. Second one is this an organization will rise no higher than its leaders. An organization will rise no higher than its leaders. It's true in church. It's true in corporations. That a corporation cannot rise any higher. A church cannot rise any higher than its leaders. All right? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's true in the family. If you want your family to be a godly family, you've got to be godly. If you want your family to have a strong moral character, you've got to have strong moral character. You know, your home cannot rise higher 
than your leadership is. And then the last little saying here is, is that something that John Maxwell said. I happen to know who said this one. And it happens to be this, you know. Leadership, pure and simple, is influence. Leadership, pure and simple, is influence. So when, you know, again, we influence people, we're exercising leadership, and that is so true in the family. Men, women, grandmas, grandpas, aunts and uncles, you know, if we're in a position of leadership, you've got to understand that your leadership comes across as how you influence your family. So I want to ask this question directly. How do you influence your family? When your kids see you, what do they see? When your grandkids see you, what do they see? All of us, listen, all of us are influencers. The question is, what kind of influence? What kind of influence? So with all that said, I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is such a powerful, powerful scripture. Okay? And it's talking to the parents, particularly probably the dad, since it's in Deuteronomy. But it's talking to the parental authority in the family. And we could, we could, in fact, you heard one of the verses from Matthew that one of the kids quoted, or all the kids quoted this morning, about loving the Lord your God. You know, so Jesus took this out of the Old Testament and drug it right into the New Testament. So we could easily say, say instead of saying, listen, O Israel, we could say, listen, church. And we could say, Hey, believers in Jesus, you need to listen. You need to listen. Here's how it goes. Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. So I want to ask you a question. Who's your God? Who's your God? I'm certain if you're a churchgoer, you would say Jehovah's my God. Let me tell you three ways you can find out who your God is. Okay? Number one is who do you worship? Who do you worship? Who has your loyalty and admiration the highest? Is it your boss? Is it your career field? Is it some activity, some sport? Is that what holds your... Okay, who do you worship? What does your checkbook say? I say, Dwayne, you're meddling now. Just giving you the way you can check. What does your checkbook... No pun intended. You know, what does your checkbook say? And you probably guessed the last one. What does your calendar say? So... Who you worship, what your checkbook says, and what your calendar says is going to really tell you who your God is. Who your God is. And the author here in Deuteronomy, and Jesus later on says, you must love the Lord your God. Okay? Those three indicators will indicate really who your God is. So listen, Israel, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you must love, you must love the Lord your God. And here's what you heard from the kids this morning. You know, Jesus said in the New Testament, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In other words, to really be the godly influence we need to be in our families, grandma and grandpa, to be the godly influence we need with our grandchildren, aunts and uncles, on our nephews and nieces, then we have to agree that God has to be our God, and we got to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And then he goes one step further. In verse number 6, he says, And you must commit yourselves. you got to be all in. you got to be all in. If the Blues are going to pull out, pull off this, this Stanley Cup deal, they're now in, what, two to one now, I guess? I guess, I, don't, I, I really don't know. Okay? If they're going to pull it off, they got to be all in. I've often said, whoever wants to win it more wins. You know? If everyone wants to win the Super Bowl, the worst will sometimes pull it off, Yes. 
World Series? Yes. Stanley Cup? Yes. So he says, then you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly with your whole heart to these commands that I'm giving you today. So from Deuteronomy, but also Jesus brings in the New Testament, if we're going to be the godly influence we're going to be, we've got to be all in. If we're going to be the godly influencers that God wants us to be, we've got, listen to me, listen to me, please. We've got to be all in. It's not enough to bring your kids to church and say, done my thing. Okay? It's not even enough to, to read scripture with your child. I'm all right. I got that. I checked that one off. You may even wish for a prayer with your children at night. It's not enough. Your children have got to see, your grandchildren have got to see, your nieces and nephews have got to see. Well, let's just get big. The whole world has got to see that God is our God. And we're all in, and we love with our heart, our soul, and our mind. So important. Now, the second word we need to look at, verse number two, is the word trust. The word trust. Again, these are just such good words. And the NLT did a great job with this. Here's what it says in verse number two. And this voice is almost like a shockeroni, okay? It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning to late at night. It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night. Now, now we've got to phrase that. He's not calling unto laziness. The idea, the principle, the thought you're going to see in just a moment is spiritual. He's saying it's useless for us to think that we, without God can produce this successful family image. Now, I'm going to say one thing for parents. Today's parents are busier than I've ever seen before. You are hard workers. You are bound and determined. When I can tell, most of you are bound and determined to produce the very best environment that your children can possibly experience. I get that. I jokingly wrote down, your theme song is probably, On the Road Again. That's where I long to be, on the road again. I mean, we go all places to give our kids all opportunities. I understand that and get that. You guys are incredibly hardworking. But here's the deal. If that is your sole or major influence in raising your children to be godly children, you're going to fall short. Busyness does not necessarily produce godliness. Busyness does not necessarily produce godliness. So, so the author says in Psalm 127, it's useless for you to work so hard from early morning to late at night. Well, well, what, what then is? Well, he says this. He says, anxiously working for food to eat, okay, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Now, I know the context here is providing physical things for your family. But certainly with that, without being in scripture, we can include all trying to raise a decent family in this world. And the author says, if we're doing all this on our own, trying to produce these godly, or actually these successful children, these model citizens that we want them to be, then it's all useless. Okay? Because again, once again, the things that we rush to do, to do, to do, to do, to do, if it doesn't involve God, is temporary. What happens here stays here unless God is in the picture. What happens here stays here unless God is in the the picture. So he goes on and says this, though, that God gives rest to his loved ones. So here's what I want you to get. Here's my takeaway from this verse. I want you to understand that no matter how you play out your life and how God calls you to parent, just make sure that he's at the center of the universe. Make sure he is an, listen, listen, he's an essential ingredient, ingredient to family. He is the 
essential ingredient family. Can I bring out the famous brownie story one more time? I don't know if y'all remember it or not. I mean, it's world famous. You know, the night I was sitting there and I was in one of my eating moods, and so I decided to make brownies. So I said, Judy, I'm going to go in the kitchen and make brownies. And so, you know, I did the traditional way. I broke out the box, okay? And it required um, some water. It required some oil and one or two eggs. And I opened the refrigerator and said, okay, no eggs. So I went to Judy. I said, Judy, can you make brownies without eggs? No, can't do that. So I, I looked on Google, and it, I don't even remember what it said, okay? But it said, do this, and it's kind of like eggs. Kind of like eggs aren't eggs. So I threw all this together, okay, and threw it in the oven, and what came out can best be described as a chocolate cesspool. I mean, around the edges was a little bit of, you know, but in the middle was this chocolate goo, which me, the chocolate lover, me, the brownie lover, could not stomach. And they went down the trash. You know why? I missed the essential ingredient. I had the box. Had the oil, had the water, I didn't have the essential grit. Leave God out of the mix, and you're going to have a chocolate cesspool every time. We need God in the mix, because he is the central ingredient. Now listen, in Matthew chapter 6, because again, I know the stress that we feel sometimes with families, and again, the rush that we feel, the running, 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 running that we feel. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth. Because it's temporary. What, what is here stays here without God in the mix. What happens here stays here without God in the mix. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. It's all temporary without God. Store your treasures in heaven. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here it is. Verse 21. Wherever your treasure is... There the desires of your heart will be also. You know, we've heard this before. Your heart follows your treasures. And listen, if God doesn't own your heart, he can't own your home. So if you find yourself chasing other treasures, mark it down, your heart is following. That's why I said check your checkbook, check your calendar, and check who you worship. Because again, those things indicate what's your heart chasing. What is your heart chasing? What are you teaching your kids to chase? Ooh. What are you teaching your kids to chase? Grandparents, what are you teaching your grandkids to chase? Hey, aunts and uncles, what are you doing to chase? You know, what are you teaching your nieces and nephews to chase? All right? They need to chase eternal things, the things of God. Now, that leads us to the third thing, which is stewardship. Stewardship. The idea here is we are managers and not owners. We are managers and not owners. When it comes to our home, our children, our spouse, we don't own them, we manage them. Uh, this is a great verse in Psalm 127.3. It says, children are a gift from the Lord, they are a reward from Him. Children are a gift from the Lord, a reward from Him. Um, this verse is going to be out of order, whoever's running the computer back there. And in 1 Samuel 1.27.28, just a couple of verses down uh, there, it says, listen, I prayed for this boy. I prayed for this girl. I prayed for this child. And since the Lord gave me what I asked, what I asked him for, I now give this boy, this girl, 
this child to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. When God places in your care a son or a daughter, a grandson or a granddaughter, a niece or a nephew, perhaps even a foster child, okay? Well, you know, if it comes from a blended family and there's a son or daughter from the other family, okay? However it is that in your home God puts children, understand you don't own them, you manage them. And God, the creator universe, God, the creator of the universe, has entrusted you with their care. Is that not incredible? Isn't it really incredible that God, you know, it's amazing to me that God entrusts the gospel to us. He goes, we are ministers of reconciliation. Therefore, we declare, be reconciled to God. But almost equally important is he trusts us with kids. Entrust them to us. And he says, they are a gift from the Lord. You know? So, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. How is it then that we can move from an average family to an awesome family? Okay? I wrote down on the, on the, up there on the screen, you know, average just happens. Awesome is intentional. Average just happens. But awesome is Intentional. You know, that word average is almost like mediocrity. It's the middle. It's meddling. It's halfway. Well, that's easy. That's the way a lot of folks do life. I'm, we're an average fan. I love it. I don't even know what it advertises. Isn't that funny? I don't, but I love it, you know. The surgeon walks in the room, you know, and, and, you know, and, and they say, is he a good doctor? He's okay. And the message is, okay, he's not good enough. I, I went to a restaurant. And I used that line. I said, ma'am, is this item good on the menu? It's okay. I said, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. <laughs> hey, preacher, you're a good preacher? Well, he's okay. Well, that's not good enough. You know? So, so, you know, it's not, we don't want, listen, we don't want to be average. As Christ followers, God has something far bigger than average. Than average. Okay? Now, now Rick Warren, who's a very practical teacher of the Word of God, uh, Saddleback Church in, in California wrote this and said, awesome families. You know, I, I would hope, I would hope that all of you say, you know, we want to be an awesome family. And some of you say, well, Dwayne, I'm doing the best I can. That's the problem. You are doing the best you can. And that's not enough. You need God. I mean that. You need God. You know, and, and, and have you ever had a kid particularly like about four years old, and they're trying to tie their shoes or something, and you say, in the concern, Papa, you know, I say, let me help you. <laughs> and they go, I can do it. You ever tell that God? You know, you're struggling in life. God, I can do it. You know, don't mess, don't mess with my discount. State Farm commercial. Don't mess with my discount. You know, so we tell God, no. You know, it's crazy because this family thing, hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. This life thing is bigger than us. And we need God at the center of our universe. Somebody keeps saying over and over again, we need God at the center of our universe. So, so here, awesome families teach their kids that they're not the center of the universe. Are you raising your child that way? Does your child, you can tell by the way, if you tell them no, and they stomp their feet, roll on the ground, and throw eggs at you, 
they probably think they're the center of the universe. I still remember, you know, Rebecca will tell you that she's, she's the most, you know, it was harder on her than any other child in our family. Jennifer would tell you that, well, that might be true, but she was number two. Everyone agrees that Sarah was spoiled. Everyone agrees that Sarah was spoiled. Okay? So, so here's the deal. Okay? So she goes to the military, and she completes basic training. I was so proud of her for doing that. And she comes out of basic training. I remember this so well. And, she, and she's in her uniform. You know, she looks so cool. And so here's what she says. She said, Dad, you know what I learned in basic training? I said, what? She said, they said, the world owes me nothing. <laughs> How profound is that? I said, yes, yes, all right? So, hey, do you want your kids to be awesome? Don't raise something the world centers around them. Because guess what? It doesn't. It took them forever to figure out that the earth was not the center of the universe. That the earth is just another planet that revolves around our sun and our solar system revolves around in our galaxy. Okay? Teach your children they're not the center of the universe. You love them. They're important. You're proud of them, but they're not the center of the universe. It goes on and says this. Um, teach, they teach their kids um, that God made them. Do your kids know that God made them? And with that thought comes, since they're, he's the creator, they are the created and since he's God, they're not. You know, you start teaching your kids real young that it's great truths. Okay? So, so that God made them. And listen, 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 listen. And shape them for a mission. Have you taught your kids that they're a divine creation of God? And God has created them for a purpose? For a purpose? For a reason? To worship him? But bigger than that? That's so important. Um, they... Awesome families. They model dedication. They honor ser- or model service. They model generosity and prayer. Average families don't do these things. Awesome families do. And Rick Warren wrote it. I just happen to agree with him. It's so important. It's so important that we do these things. Now, the question is, the question is, so how do we, what is the pathway to awesome? You know, Oh, oh, I know. I need to quit everything I'm doing and just devote myself to God and to church. Really? I used to say the answer to my life was move to Montana, get a white robe and chant. You know? Figured out that was not what I wanted to do after visiting Montana. All right? Knew that was not what I wanted to do. But what is the pathway to awesome? What is the pathway to raising an awesome, awesome family. And this is something we're really learning fresh and new here at DBC, and that is prayer. It's prayer. There's just no doubt about it. You know, the question isn't, should I pray for my kids? Okay, I hope you pray for your kids. Yeah, I hope you pray for your kids. You know, the question isn't, should we pray for our kids? Kids, but how do you pray for your kids? I mean, if your prayer comes out something like, God, please make them rich and famous and the captain of this or the leader of that, okay, nice prayer. It really is. It would be cool if God answered that for you. Um, but it's not the most important prayer. And what I want to do is, there are three scriptures. This might be as far as we get today. There are three scriptures in Colossians. Remember on Graduate Sunday, I talked about I said, we're going to bring this up again. Well, here it is. And this is an awesome prayer that you could pray for your family. Now, before I forget, let me tell you something. Um, do we have those pictures back there of the, of the prayers? Did they make it on there? 
Would you go and throw one up there, please? I know you can't read this. That's not the point. But what we're going to do is today, this is, this is based on Colossians chapter 1, and, and it's a prayer that parents can pray over their children. And what I'm offering to do is, if you'd like, I'm willing to, if you'll go by the welcome desk after church, after services, give us your name and the child's name, and there'll be about four selections there you can choose from. And we would like to make a personal copy of this for you. You can hang it in your child's room. You can put it next to your prayer, uh, wherever you pray. If you have grandchildren, we'll make the offer available. I'm going to try to have them ready for you next week. And again, it'll be a full color and it'll be a personalized prayer. But for today, we're going to look at 9, 10, 11. Okay? And it's funny because it comes out 9, 11. 9, 1, 1. It comes out the parents' prayer. So I hope you'll come by the welcome desk today. We'll have them ready for you next week. Each one, each one will be personalized, and you can pick one of four different models that we have there. All right? Because I want you to put this somewhere where you'll read it and understand it. Here's what it says. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. It's really good. It's really good. In verse number 9, Colossians, So, we have not stopped praying for you since we heard about you. We have not stopped praying for you since we heard about you. Now, I know some really spiritual people, okay? I'm not one. I know some really spiritual people who, like when they were 17, were praying for the kids they might have. Judy may have done that, you know? Praying for you. But I hope, I hope, here you go, just take home, to take home, I hope that even if you're pregnant, wanting to get pregnant, okay, that you're already praying for that child. If you have children, I hope you're praying for them. That was an easy one. I hope you're praying for your kids. Okay? Pray for your children. Pray for your children. And Paul says to the church, since we've heard about you, we can't stop. And so if God's blessed you with children, you're praying he will bless you with children. Okay? Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Pray for them. And Jesus still prays for our kids. All our kids, all our kids have left the nest. I still like that a lot. <laughs> I really do. The empty nest thing is not bad. It's not bad. But anyway, Jesus still prays. Okay? <laughs> ah, well, we'll go along. Yeah, I got to tell you a funny story. See, a while back I heard from one of our you know, gurus, marriage gurus, that um, people who pray together, you know, 80% of them never get a divorce. You know, you know 50-50 is about what you can hope for in today's culture. And uh, people, parent, kids, moms and dads, that, you know, husband and wives, that pray together have an 80% chance of staying married. Well, Jeannie, I thought that was pretty good deal since I'm a pastor. You know, she, she's threatened to kill me. She's never threatened to divorce me. Okay? So, so we pray together, you know, every night. Okay? Now, again, I confess, Jeannie's much more spiritual than me. Her prayers consist of praying for China, the, the Russian government. Um, you know, the people there over here that, you know, mine's like, okay, God, thanks for this day, you know, and please bless our children, our grandchildren. Thank you for Judy. Gives good night's rest. You know, mine's just to the point. And by the way, the Bible says, you know, God already knows what we need before we ask. So I fear he's got it down pat. But sometimes she prompts me. You know, we got a son-in-law and a daughter in Korea. And boy, if I'm winding down in my little 14-second prayer, you know, she goes, don't forget, sir. Don't forget Sarah. You know, don't forget Becca, John. Don't forget, you know, don't forget, don't forget. She prompts me in her prayers. Okay? So, so he's saying there, man, don't stop praying for them. Don't stop praying. If they're adults, it doesn't matter. 
Don't stop praying for your kids. And then watch this. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. That's so important. Can I put that in layman terms? God, I'm asking you to tell Faith why she's here. I'm asking you, Father, that Ethan will know why he's here. That Hope will know why she's here. And you put your own child in there. When it says that we are praying that God will give you complete knowledge of his will, God, show my kids what you want. Because, listen, God really doesn't matter what they want, and God doesn't matter what I want. It matters what you want, because you gave them to me, and they're your children. Hugely important. Man, too many workplaces are filled with people who don't want to go to work because they hate it. They make great money, but they hate their job. And maybe because... Maybe because they don't find out what God made them to be. Hugely important. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, God, show my children what you want them to do. Why did you create them to be and do? And then help them to see that through your lens. Not through their lens, not through the government's lens, but through their lens. Help them to see through your eyes, God, after you show them what you want them to be. Verse number 10 says this. Then the way you live, the way they live, will always honor and please the Lord. This is the target. This is the deal. I mean, don't you want your kids to grow up and always honor and love the Lord? Isn't this a great prayer? Don't you want that for your kids above all else? I mean, that may be a, a farmer in Iowa doing 10 acres. But man, if they grow up and always honor and please the Lord, wow! Wow! It's great, Lord, that they may grow up and honor and please the Lord. And, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit, character, integrity, that moral excellence that we all hope for. Lord, all these things we pray and then all the while, you, that you will grow as you learn to know God better and better and better. That's sanctification. It is a great prayer. I mean, you could pray this over your children. And again, I hope you'll go by and get We'll give you a copy that's personalized for your child. And you can just read that to the God, to the, God of the universe. God, this is my prayer um, for my child. Look at verse 11. We also pray that you'll be strengthened with all his glorious power. So you will have all the endurance. And that, don't forget that word endurance means faith stretched out. Faith stretched out. Okay? So you'll have all the endurance and patience you need. And God, may they be filled with joy. What a prayer. What a prayer. Well, here's what I know. Parenting was one of the uh, biggest challenges I had in my life. And I told you, I tried... I'm not afraid to be transparent, you know. Boy, I had some real real bad deals. I just wasn't a good dad sometimes. You know, not y'all, but Cobden, because that's when the kids were younger, would stress me out. And there's nothing worse than a stressed out pastor when he goes home. All of a sudden, whoever stressed you out at, at, at church looks just like all of a sudden look like your kids. 
And then you start to stop being nice. You know, I'm just being honest with you. Being honest with you. So, so it's important that we get godly help. You're doing a wonderful job. Some of you parents, I cannot believe what you do for your kids. That's awesome. But at the top of that stack, not somewhere in the middle, at the top of that stack, you've got to get God in your life and thereby in their life. That your influence would be godly. That your testimony would be godly. That your priorities would be godly. So they can watch you. You know, there's something. I wish I'd thought to bring this picture. You know, I, I've mentioned it. I may have mentioned it before. I don't know, and I'm done. You know, it's a picture. It was in Savannah, Georgia. When, when Sarah and Blake were in Savannah, Georgia. And we were, they had beautiful parks there. And we're walking one day. And, and I get kind of tired. So I sit down on, the, uh, on a park bench. You know? So I sit down on the park bench. And I sit like this. And I do this. You know? And then, here comes my grandson, Will. He's three, two. He climbs up on the bench next to me, about that far apart, sits down on the bench, crosses his leg, and does this. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. I've got it on my desk now. I remember the picture. But I saw it later, and it's on my desk now. Because it reminds me of my responsibility, of my influence. That my grandsons and granddaughters and my children are still watching me. And I know you do too. You do too. So, as you do life, as you do your turning, as you're the mom, the dad, grandmother, the grandfather, the aunt or the uncle, be an influencer. But be a godly. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you so much for being so patient listening today. And I just want to tell you right now before we say anything else, this will be on the internet. I hope you'll go back and listen to it again. I really pray you'll do that. Because guys, I'm telling you, looking back, my rearview mirror, looking back, this is important stuff. It's important stuff. So I would pray that it would help you. I'd be glad to sit down and talk with you. I don't have all the answers. I don't. But I'm, some people say I'm a pretty good listener. And so if I could help you that way, I'd be glad to help you. Spend time talking with your spouse about this. Even if you're the grandma and grandpa, talk together about how you can influence and how you can help your grandchildren and your children as they make this parenting journey together. You know, come together, have that power play with God and, and influence winning ways into their lives. Well, this is our time of decision. And normally, the cross, I always get to the cross, and I know I didn't get there. But the bottom line is this. All this revolves around the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, all this, I told you that, that if we don't have God in the middle of this thing, you know, it, it all stays here. It all stays here. And there's this incredible God of the universe who loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus to die for you. The wages of sin was death. And Jesus died that we could have forgiveness of sins. Religion won't get you to heaven. Being a good mom and dad won't get you to heaven. Good works won't get you to heaven. But Jesus Christ can and will if you ask him to. It involves acknowledging that you're a sinner and choosing to turn from that sin and choosing to follow him for the rest of your life. And Brother Brent's going to be standing down front and he would love to tell you all about that. And parents, you need to understand something. You're not alone. 
This church family, we love each other. And we're trying to learn to do that better. We're trying to learn not to be rock chuckers. We're, not learning, we're trying to learn not to relish our success and then also clap for your failure. We're learning that we're in this game together. So kids, parents, you don't walk alone. If we don't offer help, come to us. I mean, find somebody with gray hair and say, I need your help. You know, we'll pray together and we'll walk together. But if you want to come today at the altar and just say, I need somebody, I just need to come pray. We would love to have you come and pray together. If you want someone to pray with you, we'll do that. And anyhow, if there's something on your heart today uh, beyond that stretch, you come on down. We'd we'll love to pray with you. We'll be glad to talk with you this morning. God, I just want to thank you very much for the privilege of sharing today. I really do. God, thank you for your incredible word. It's so real. It's so alive. And Father, I want to pray for every mom and dad, grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, uh, foster parent, whatever it is, Lord, as we have influence over children. God, may we make it a godly influence. Speak to our hearts so we can speak into their hearts. Give them the wisdom that they need. Father, we pray for someone today that if they don't know, that they can be forgiven of their sins. They've never experienced that. Give them the courage to come out and grab Brent by the hand and say, okay, I want to know about that forgiveness thing. Because God, you love them, and you made it possible for every person, every man, woman, child, to be forgiven. So this is your decision time. We place it in your hands. And Jesus, I ask it in your name. Amen.